Good morning, church. Hey, we're glad that you joined us online this morning. Uh, We are thankful. If you happen to be new here this morning, if you've never joined us online before, we want to give you an extra special welcome this morning. We are grateful uh, to have you. We're honored uh, that you've chose to join us this morning uh, for a time of of reflection, a time uh, to hear God's Word and to uh, reflect on His goodness. So we're grateful that you're here, and uh, as we get into this, we'd like to go through a few announcements to kind of start some things off, and first and foremost, uh, we just want to just just say that we are grieving as a church body um, at uh, what is our loss. But our brothers gain. Uh, we lost a, a precious brother, uh, Roland Culligan, uh, this past week. Um, I do want to convey to you that one of the things that he said um, just in his final time was how much he loved this church. And, and that is just, uh, that's a powerful testimony as to what the church is intended to be, that he appreciated very much the community that he found here and the love that he found here. And we are going to so uh, miss him. We have had a tough, tough season. Um, we've lost a couple of people in a short amount of time, and we were reeled and rocking by that. But we continue to trust and know God's good, that He is sovereign, and that He is in control. And so uh, we are just going to look to Him in these times, come around one another um, as we grieve and heal together. Uh, also, just want to uh, throw out there what is uh, pretty obvious, but, but we do have a lot of COVID in the community. Um, there it is running through the community at, at quite a rapid rate, and um, a lot of people are getting quite sick and things like that. We've had op- moments where our hospital is filled up and, and different things, and so we want to be careful with one another. We want to do the things that uh, help to keep one another safe. Our brother Roland succumbed to covid and um, we just want to be mindful of that. We want to do what we can. So remember that if you attend um, our attended uh, uh, services, we, we do have social distancing in place. Our balcony is going to continue to be a mask-only area. Um, if you choose to sit in the balcony, we are going to ask that you would wear a mask. We are going to um, just ask that you would consider wearing a mask uh, wherever you might sit and that we might do the things that we can to help mitigate this uh, to be considerate even of our healthcare workers and all of that, and to be uh, just, just to keep each other in fellowship, too, to hold that as the highest thing over any opinions that we might have. Uh, a couple of other uh, announcements are that Freedom Fridays are happening um, every Friday evening at the Lighthouse. Um, check for more information on that as to what's happening week by week. But there's a reality that all of us need healed up. We all need to deal with some of the things that we need to deal with in our lives. And Freedom Fridays is a a ministry that helps us to to go through these individual uh, things, these individual uh, areas of life that we might be struggling with and help us to find some freedom in those areas. So check that out. It's a a powerful ministry, and you're going to want to be a part of that. Um, Our meals ministry is uh, just really been, uh, we've had a lot of need in the church body. Um, A lot of meals have went out. I'm going to hold again that that's one of the most powerful ministries that we have in this church is when you feed people in a time of need, they feel absolutely loved and cared for. And so we want to take care of our 
folks, uh, both in here and, and, and even people in the community from time to time that need some help. So please, please um, consider being a part of that. On, on occasion, cooking up a meal, throw it in your freezer. Have it ready for when there is need. But the meals ministry is a powerful ministry. Um, it's a very needed ministry within the church body, and we definitely could use some help with that. So if you're looking for a place to serve, it's a simple way to serve with a deep impact. Um, next steps are just kind of our get acquainted, come and know us, come and understand a little bit more about the church and who we are and what we believe. That next steps class is a, is a class um, that is three, uh, it's, it's a series of three different classes. Uh, we'll start from step one next week on the 12th. Uh, it'll be at the Lighthouse after our first service, about 1030. So if you've never uh, done that, if you've never kind of come in and sat down and said, what does it look like to to be a part of this church body, and where are you guys at, and what do you believe, I'd encourage you to come and do that. Uh, there's a ladies' advance happening September the 17th and 18th. Um, it is a First Baptist ladies' retreat, um, but our own Elisa Sauer is um, the speaker at that, and so I would encourage you ladies, if you're looking for a time of refreshment, um, to look into that. Ladies' advance September 17th and 18th at First Baptist. Um, also, too, uh, Sean Farrar, our own Sean Farrar, has gotten a Habitat for Humanity house, and so there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us as a church body to come beside him, to come beside that build, and to help him out um, as he gets his house built. So we're going to want to do that, so come and love on Sean, and come and serve uh, within a great ministry, Habitat for, Human for Humanity. More information on that will be coming up. They'll be breaking ground on his house this fall. So we are in the, uh, the ongoing here, the, the idea of Sabbath and rest. Last time we talked about rest, and then I got quarantined, and so I was supposed to talk about Sabbath last week, but I uh, had to bow out of that. But this week, we are going to talk about the idea of Sabbath and Sabbath day. Now, remember, we talked about rest and how rest was this idea that Jesus isn't really offering us a nap, a day off, or a vacation. What he's offering us is the ability to just put off our own works and to rest in his complete works, to, to not believe that we're identified by what we do or, or what we own or how big our account is or any of those kinds of things, that those aren't the things that, that really identify us, but that we're supposed to put our yoke on with Jesus and understand that his burden is light, that, that his yoke is easy and that his burden is light, that when we rest in his salvation, that we find a place of true identity and we find a place of purpose and meaning in this life. But a practical aspect of this is the practice of Sabbath, the idea of keeping a day to where we uh, connect again with the creation and with the creator. And so we're going to look into that. So Genesis 1 is the first place that we see any concept or any idea of Sabbath. And it says this, it says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Genesis 2, um, but it says, the, by the seventh day that God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because as he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So again, we talked about it's this idea that God didn't rest because he needed sleep, he wasn't tired, he wasn't fatigued. It means simply that God had ceased to work. 
that he had brought to completion his creation, and that completion um, finds itself associated with the number seven and the seventh day. God then took that seventh day, and it says that he sanctified it. He made it holy or set apart. Now, before the law, there were no rules that were tied to this Sabbath day. It was instituted by God and given to mankind, but later on, we're going to see that it was given to the Jewish people as an ordinance of the law. But God has these these cycles of seven. Again, we talked about this last time. There are one day, it was one day in seven that were to set apart uh, to to keep from God. There were uh, seven festivals within the year that were kept. Um, Every seven years, the land was to be left fallow or uh, 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 unplanted, basically. It was left to rest itself. Um, The slaves were free, debts were forgiven. Um, Every seven Sabbaths times seven more years or 49 years, that 50th year became the year of Jubilee. And in that year, it's this picture that, that um, all of the debts were forgiven. The, the land that had been maybe lost by certain families would go back to those families. It's this place where, where God kind of reset the clock on a lot of things. Um, and so it's an interesting concept, even if you think about economies and economic things, which is a big deal these days. It's an interesting thing that God never disincentivized work or progression in one's life, but yet he also set up kind of a check and balance on runaway capitalism or the idea of a massive wealth gap in that every 50 years, there was a reset of some of these things. All of these festivals and all of these times are really pointing us to God and who He is. They're, they're, they're meant to be a picture of who the Messiah would be and what His work was and what He would accomplish on our behalf. In and of themselves, they were just like signposts along the way as the Jewish people were making their way and understanding who God was more and more, understanding who this Messiah was who would come and save them, and then relaying that to the world around them. So one of those times was this, uh, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And in this time, the Jewish people would basically go and they would set up tents and they would remember and memorialize the time when they had walked with God through the desert, and that in that time in the desert that God was with them, that His presence was with them, that He had tabernacled with them, that He had come and lived among them and guided them through the desert. It's a picture of our own lives today where sometimes we find and we feel like we're wandering in the desert, but that we remember that there's a God who has come, that there is a God who has come and has even tabernacled with us. In John 1, it talks about the Word and that the Word was God, and it goes on to tell us that that this Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. And now, because of the resurrection and because of what He's done, He actually tabernacles within us, right, in the Spirit, the Spirit that He's placed within us, that He is living with us, that even though we may find ourselves in times of difficulty, in times of the desert, that we can rest assured that this God who has created all things is with us. Another one of the times was the Day of Atonement. This was called Yom Kippur. It was was the day in which the sins of the people for the year were atoned for. And and in the practice of this, the the priests would bring two 
um, uh, spotless goats um, up, and then they would cast lots. And the one whom the lot fell upon would be the, the goat that the sins of the people would be put upon. And the, the priest would then lay his hands on that goat, and he would infer the sins of the people to that goat. And then that goat was led out into the wilderness and was set free. And the goat that had no sin conferred upon it became then the sacrifice that would pay for the sins for the people. It was the one that was pure and perfect that would be the substitutionary sacrifice for the ones who still held the sin but yet were set free. Another one is Passover. And and in Passover... um, we see this, this time where the Jewish people are in bondage to Pharaoh and, and God is, is leading them. He's bringing them out of that bondage. And the final thing is this idea where God said, look, take the blood of a lamb and place it over the doorposts of your home. And if you do that, then the angel of death will pass over you. But if you don't do that, then the firstborn of every household is going to be taken by the angel of death. And, and so it's this picture, again, it's this, it's this signpost for us that points to the work that Jesus would do. As a matter of fact, as Jesus um, ends his ministry, his week of passion, it begins, it, it, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem is on the very day that the high priest would select the lamb that would be given for the people for Passover. The time that he expired on the cross at three o'clock is the very time that the, that the priest would offer that sacrificial lamb for the Passover. And see, the Passover is, a, is an amazing picture for us because it didn't matter who was in the house, what was, what was the issue was whether that place was covered by the blood or not. It had nothing to do with the people who were inside of the house. It had to do with the covering. Just the same as our salvation has nothing to do with who we are, but who He is and what He's accomplished on our behalf. Jesus gave, was given for our freedom Another one was, the, was the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and this feast begins the day after the first day of Passover. You see, leaven represents many times in the, the, in the Bible the idea of sin and decay, and, and maybe even more so, what it represents is this idea that as once a lump of dough is leavened, then that leaven or that yeast permeates every single bit of that whole piece of dough. And that dough then is inseparable from the yeast that is within it. You see, many times the Bible uses the idea of yeast to represent, or leaven to represent sin and decay in our world around us, and how that has permeated into every aspect of who we are. But then Jesus, remember, he made the proclamation that he was the bread from heaven, that he's the sinless one. He's this idea that he is the unleavened bread, the one who has come to free us from that sin. He's the one where when we are in that bread, then that bread has no sin within it, and He's the one who covers our sin. There's a time, there's a, a, a celebration of, of the Feast of First Fruits, and, and this started on the third day of Passover. This is the day that Jesus was resurrected 
right? And so this is why Paul refers to Jesus as being the, the, the firstborn of the resurrection. He's the, the first fruits. He's the initial one who, because he has been resurrected, we too live in the hope of the resurrection. See, the gospel is for those who, who, who haven't heard, who don't know it. The hope and the hope of believers as well is in the gospel, but the gospel is really for the unbeliever. The resurrection is for the believer, that once we've responded to the gospel, once we're a believer, then now our hope and our understanding is in the resurrection, that one day we too will be resurrected to new life. One day God will bring our bodies back together and he will somehow improve them and glorify them in a way that we don't really yet get or understand, but that we will dwell with him in these bodies and that we will also be resurrected and saved from death. Then there was the day of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks and and. This was also the feast of the harvest, of the greater harvest. As a matter of fact, the day of Pentecost is the day when the disciples were filled with the Spirit, when Peter stood up and he, through a Spirit-filled message, um, gave a message to the Jewish people, and 3,000 people were converted, became Christians, and the church was birthed. And this idea of greater um, harvest becomes a reality in the world uh, for us. And it also becomes the reason that we're still here is because we're meant to be those people who are, who are participating in this harvest. See, at this time, they would bring two leavened loaves of bread representing the Jews and the Gentiles. And the leaven, even in this idea that the Messiah has went in and permeated everything of both people now and brought them together. The last one is the Feast of Trumpets, and and it began with a trumpet blow, and and so also, too, we understand that when the culmination of time happens, when Jesus wraps this whole thing up, is that there will be a final blast of the trumpet. Jesus will return. He will gather his bride, and we will celebrate him with a wedding feast. So these all just point to the reality of this God and who this God is, who the Messiah would be, all of the festivals and all of the sacrificial system and all of these things that we are looking at within the Old Testament are all pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the subject of everything about the Old Testament. So the idea of Sabbath and this idea of Sabbath day, the next place after Genesis 1 that we see it is in Exodus 16, 22 and 23. And it says this. It says, now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. And so this was given to them as they were wandering again through the desert, and and God begins to provide for them this stuff called manna, which ultimately means, what is it? So they wake up, and they've got this bread stuff around them, and they're like, well, what is it? And, and, And they come to find out that this is a bread from heaven that is given to them to nourish them and to satisfy them and to provide for them as they wander through this desert. 
You see, in each day, you had to go out and you had to gather your manna for that day. I think that there's a great implication for the church in this message is the idea that each and every morning we should be a people who get up and gather the sufficiency of God for the day that we face ahead. That we get up and we gather this manna and, and, and we recognize that, that God's sufficient for us and for our struggle and wherever we might find ourselves in that de- desert today. And, and you see, the interesting thing about it was that, is that the manna was only good for that day. Yesterday's manna wouldn't satisfy you today. It actually went bad. Just the same as yesterday's grace isn't enough for us today. But today's grace is sufficient for today. But on the Sabbath day, they were able, the day before the Sabbath day or what became the preparation day, they were able to go and they were able to gather twice as much. And it was sufficient to hold them over through that day of rest. Again, just reminding the Jewish people that it wasn't about the work that they did. While they were able to participate in the work that God was doing, the provision that God was providing for them, that it wasn't dependent on them, that God was able to carry them through and into this place of rest. It was given to them as a test, it says, to see if they would walk in his instruction. There's so many times where we're called as a church and as a people to walk in the instruction of God, that he gives us very simple and laid out things, and some of it, it just becomes a test and even the opportunity to recognize that the economy of God says that when we're faithful in the little things, that he continues to give us more, that he continues to grow us and move us and promote us within his kingdom work. A little bit later, we see that the Sabbath day is given as a point of the law. So Exodus 20 begins to lay out what becomes our Ten Commandments and this, or this, this command to keep a day apart for the Lord is found in Exodus 20, verse 10. It says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. So the Sabbath and this Sabbath day is given to the people of Israel through the law, and it's part of uh, this Mosaic covenant. Um, It is part of the Mosaic law. It is a sign of the Mosaic covenant. We see this in Exodus um, 31, verse 16, which says, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. And so this, again, was to remind the the Jewish people. It was a reminder that paradise had been lost, and it pointed to a truth that it could be regained again through righteousness, through right living, and through obedience. So, when is the Sabbath? Well, in reality, the Sabbath is and always will be from Friday evening to Saturday at sunset. This is when God instituted the Sabbath. Um, If you look into the New Testament, the reference to Sunday is always referenced to as the Lord's day. It's never called the Sabbath. The Sabbath is and always will be on the Jewish calendar from Friday evening to Saturday sunset. Now, the Jewish calendar, remember, 
that Saturday was the seventh day. It was that day for rest for them. Sunday was the first day of the week. So what did Jesus have to say about the Sabbath? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about the Sabbath, and he had a lot of ways of of moving through the Sabbath and, and talking about the Sabbath. For one thing, the first thing that Jesus said was that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, now that's a profound statement in itself because what Jesus is doing is he says the Son of Man, he's, he's identifying himself with the Messiah that was predicted to come through the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel being maybe like the Jewish's, Jewish people's book of Revelation. And it called the Messiah the Son of Man, and Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah that is spoken of in the book of Daniel. And he also then begins to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What's he saying when he says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath? He's saying that he is Lord over creation, that he is the one who set that day apart, who after he ceased from his work, proclaimed this to be this day that was to be set apart and to sanctify. And remember also to this day that was given prior to the law. Jesus also said this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He's saying that the Sabbath is something that's good for us. It's something that was actually created for us and given to us as a gift for our benefit. It's not something that is just this this thing that is to be revered in and of itself and that mankind is supposed to just bow to the rules and the regulations of this day, but that this is a gift that it's kind of a rhythm of life that God has given us to help us. And we'll look at that some more in the, uh, here uh, as, we, as we work through this. Jesus tended to pick this day many times to heal people, and much to the frustration of the, the Pharisees around him, right? Because the Pharisees had begun to create all of these different rules the ordinances of men that said, this is how you keep the Sabbath. You know, you don't carry a match. You can only take so many steps. They had just rule after rule after rule that they put on one another that became just this incredibly heavy burden, this thing that was never meant or intended to be, but that what religion had created in it to be. Interesting thing, Jesus seven times heals people on this Sabbath day. In Mark 1, we see that he heals Uh, Peter's mother-in-law. In Mark 3, he heals a man with a withered hand. John 9, he heals a man that was born blind. Luke 13, he heals a crippled woman. Luke 14, he heals a man with dropsy. Mark 1, he drives out an evil spirit. And John 5, he heals a man beside the pool of Bethesda. Jesus chose this day to show us really what it was about, that it was, that it was a day of, of life. It was a day to, to consider others. It was a day to, to begin to leave room in your day for the work and the power of God and for those around us, for our neighbor, to, to actually, at times when we need to, that part of the rest that we actually can experience is in giving of ourselves and of our time to others, to help others. So do we have to follow this Sabbath, and do we have to follow the rules of the Sabbath? Are Christians required to follow the Sabbath, yes or no? And the answer, I would say, is is no. But just like 
how now the law isn't something that we follow necessarily because we're following an external constraint or an external compulsion to do the right thing, we should recognize as New Testament believers that the law has now been written in our hearts, that the law is now not meant to be an external thing but an internal thing, that it's meant to be the very desire, the very thing that we look to and we adjust our lives and we begin to live in this way because we understand that the law actually preserves our freedom, that the law actually blesses us and others around us, that the law actually is a way that the world can live in some, some unity and some freedom. So one of the reasons I would say no, that, that we don't have a, a compulsion to follow the Sabbath is this. That, almost, that all of the Ten Commandments are repeated again within the New Testament. And, and some of them emphasized many times within the New Testament. The only command that is not repeated or emphasized uh, in the New Testament again is the fourth command, the command to keep a Sabbath. In Acts chapter 15, we see that the Council of Jerusalem is giving Gentile believers new directives in how to be and what it looks like to walk as believers, and they give absolutely no directive to follow the Sabbath. Nor is there any teaching within the New Testament about the Sabbath or concerning the directives of the Sabbath day. But Jesus tended to up the ante on the law, as actually, for us New Testament believers. As a matter of fact, where the law said you shouldn't commit adultery, Jesus points out, well, actually, if you have lust within your heart for a woman, then you've already committed adultery. Or it says don't murder your brother, but Jesus says, hey, if you're actually even just angry with your brother, you've, you've committed murder. Jesus takes us to a higher level of righteousness that points out that if we would agree that the act in the end would be the wrong thing, that we would also have to agree that the thought that began the act would not be a righteous thought or a righteous behavior either. There's no giving, uh, there's no directives in the New Testament either for a tithe other than to be a cheerful giver. Jesus points out though that, that there's a little older lady there that, that is in line, and even though other people are giving greater amounts of money, she gives out of her poverty, and she gives in a way that demonstrates a reality that she has a reliance on God for her future and for who she is. And so, in many ways, I would hold that in the New Testament, that even the tithe just becomes even a giving place for a person who's become a giver. When God has made us a cheerful giver, we recognize that there's great blessing in giving, that it's better to give than to receive, and it ups the ante on some of these things even. Jesus began his ministry on the Sabbath. What an interesting thing. He, he taught in the synagogue. He rolled open the book of Isaiah, and he got to the chapter 61, and he began to, to say that, that, that basically that 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 the spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon him, that he had come to proclaim good news and to, to tell us about the favorable year of the Lord. Well, what was the favorable year of the Lord? The favorable year of the Lord was the year of Jubilee. It was this idea that he had come to bring the ultimate year of Jubilee to us, that he was the one that this had spoken of, that he was the fulfillment 
of this prophetic word and that he had come to bring good news, to heal us, to deliver us, to, um, to, to bring deliverance into our lives, to set captives free, to do all of these things, and then to make us oaks of righteousness that we might go and rebuild the city walls, that we might reclaim the ancient ruins, that we might be people who are rebuilding the world around us. Jesus also spent the end of his ministry in the tomb over the Sabbath day. You see, the Sabbath began on the evening, so night was the first thing that happened. And Jesus' body sat in that tomb through that time of darkness. And then, though, the first day of the week, right, with the dawn, we see the resurrection, with the light. You see, Christians began to meet on Sunday and to begin to call it the Lord's Day because they began to understand that their ministry now wasn't associated with the dark but with light, that, that, it was, that it was part of the first day of the week, which represents the idea of a new beginning. It's the eighth day. In music, it's the eighth note through the major chord, through the major notes that would be a new octave, that would be a new beginning. Jesus' resurrection on that first day represents a new thing a new covenant. The end of the old covenant of the Mosaic covenant and the covenant of the law and the beginning of the age of grace, the age of the church, the idea of dawn, the idea of light and the resurrection and the hope that is the believer. So are we required to keep the Sabbath? No. We are invited into the Sabbath. And just as the law is now written on our hearts, not as an external compulsion, but an internal one, Jesus invites us into a practical time of rest, a space where we shut out the loud voices of a world that is screaming at us, where we put off a thousand opinions, and we tune into the one opinion that truly matters, and a place where we can hear His voice. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. The prophet is trying to hear the Lord and, and he's, he's, he's struggling because everybody is, is trying to kill him and he feels like he's all alone. And, and God begins to speak to him and he says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And, before the, and behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. Why? Because he knew God was there. And he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, it's... The, the, the voice of God wasn't found in, in all of the noise around Elijah. It was found in that gentle blowing. So how are you going to hear God's voice if God's voice comes in the gentle blowing? If it doesn't come in all of, the, all of the noise and all of the circumstance and all of the pomp of the world around us, if it's just a still, small voice, how are we going to hear that if we don't take time, if we don't enter into this? 
See, there are some great advantages to the idea of practicing Sabbath. One thing is this, is it rests us for our work. See, Adam was created the sixth day. The very first thing that he did was enter into this rest. The first thing he did was rest before he works. We know that he worked because God had appointed work for him to do. But the first thing that he did was rest. We tend to be a people who rest from our work. We say, oh, it's Friday, it's the weekend, and I'm so whipped for my week, and I'm just going to rest from that work. Well, that's really not the right perspective. The, the perspective is that we are resting for our work, that we're creating a space around us that we can hear God's voice, where we can tune in to Him, where we can inquire of the Lord for our week. You know, the seventh year was again that year that the land was left fallow. And, and everybody who ate that year throughout the land, they just ate what the land produced apart from their work. Again, a picture of salvation. Again, a picture, the idea that God's provision is apart from our work and it's perfectly capable of sustaining us. As a matter of fact, the, the years before that, when they did harvest, they were, there was a thing called gleaning in which they weren't supposed to go up into all of the corners and, and to harvest all of the grain out of every corner. They were supposed to leave margins for others. They were supposed to leave margin for God's provision through His people for other people. I think that's a powerful thing and a powerful picture. The idea of this is, do we have margin? Are we leaving margins in our lives for other people? Do we leave room for God to work, or are we just in a frenzy running through this world, just like it's with a world that's just on fire, and the earthquakes are going all around us, and the wind is whipping all around us? How are we going to hear His voice if we don't create these places, these spaces, these margins where we hear His voice? Another thing that the Sabbath day does for us, or the practice of Sabbath, is it reminds us that we aren't slaves. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see, the Sabbath day reminds us that we're no longer slaves, that we aren't, we aren't merely our work. See, there's a reality that if you can't take a day off, then you're a slave. You're a slave to the accolades or to your position or, or, or to your title or, or to your paycheck, or to your things, or to your hobbies, or to the approval of, of, of someone around you, or to the idea that your identity is somehow found in your accomplishments. You see, you're a slave if you can't take a break, if you can't take time off. The day of Sabbath reminds us that we've been set free, that there isn't those kinds of expectations on our lives, and that there should be a day of refreshment, that we should be able to take a day and be reminded that our life is not just our work, that our work is important, but that it's much more than just our work, that you as an, as an individual aren't merely what you produce. It's an opportunity to realize that the sun came up without our help and that the creator of all things is still in charge. Sabbath is an opportunity to deepen our relationships, which is something that we all need to do, to go deeper with our family, to go deeper with our friends, to take time and to, to have dinner with people, to, to enjoy one another, to enjoy God's creation, and to deepen our relationships. 
You see, it's intrinsically tied to the creation, and it's a time to be mindful of both the creation and our Creator, a time to enjoy both of them deeply. Every seventh day becomes a reminder of God's creative power, that His works are complete, that He knows the number of our days, and will bring to completion His perfect plan, and it cannot be thwarted. It's a day to put our work aside, to recognize that we are not merely our work. It's a time to see the mark of divinity in everyone around us and not exploit others for our benefit. Remember, the Sabbath wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for the foreigners. It was for those who were enslaved to them. Their their servants were to be given this time of Sabbath as well. It was a time to remember that all have a mark of divinity and that we aren't supposed to exploit one another. It also provided for a provision for animals and just the idea of good care of animals. It was a time to rest for the work that was ahead, to inquire of the Lord for the week to come. It's healthy, and it makes you more productive. A Stanford research paper found that people who worked 70 hours a week got absolutely nothing more done than people that worked up to 55 People who work seven days a week tend to burn out, they experience sleep problems due to stress, and they tend to be at greater risk of depression, heart disease, and heart attack. According to a World Health Organization and International Labor Organization study, long working hours led to 745,000 deaths from stroke and heart disease in 2016. That's a 29% increase from 2000. The substantial number of strokes and heart disease resulted from people who were working at at least 55 hours a week. The study by the WHO and the ILO concludes that working 55 or more hours per week is associated with a higher risk of stroke and dying from heart disease compared to working 35 to 40 hours a week. There is a heightened concern that people are working increasingly longer hours, which puts them at more risk of an early death. They are literally working themselves to death. Ultimately, this rest and the things that we're talking about are about salvation. It's about the idea that that Jesus has become our Sabbath rest, that he has become this place where we can put off our own works, where we can recognize that it's not about me or who I am or how good I've been or how big my account is or how many letters I have behind my name. It's not about my title or, 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 or what people think about me. It's all about what he's done. It's about putting on this yoke that he says is light. And it's about carrying a burden that he says is easy. It's about joining up with this God and resting in who he is and his accomplished work on the cross for us. It's about, it's about finding a rhythm in life, in this life, where we get recharged, where we're able to both see and hear God's activity around us and to hear that still, small voice, where we can have time and we have margins in our schedule so that we're meeting with God and we're leaving room for other people and, and, and the concept of being God's people meeting the needs of the world around us. It's just this space that God has invited us into. It's a rhythm of life that he's given us as a gift. It's an opportunity to take a whole day off 
and live as if our rest has already come because he has. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you have become our rest, that because of what you've done, that we can lay aside any misconceptions that we have about who we are or what our identity is or how important we are, and we can just rest in what you've done. And we thank you, too, that you've given us this opportunity that shows to us that that we aren't just merely our work, that we're not just slaves to that, that we're never intended to be that, but that you've given us this day in which your intentions are that we would just rest, that we would deepen our relationships, that we would enjoy the creation and those around us, that we would just go deeper with you, that we would leave margins in our lives and in our schedule so that our lives might be something that's lived for a deeper cause and in a deeper way, that we might have margins for others in our lives, that we might not just be a people who consume everything all the way out to the nth degree, but that we would leave room for others that we would be a people who recognize that we've been blessed and that we've been given enough and be out of that, that we might have a generous heart, that we might become cheerful givers in this world, knowing that in so doing that we're investing into a greater kingdom for greater purposes, for greater things that we can even imagine or think of. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us in this noisy, busy, complicated world to just flip the switch, to just enter into this rhythm that you've invited us into, that we might be both more effective in the work that we do throughout the week, and that we might be more effective for your kingdom work that you have for us all the time. So, Lord, we commit it to you, and we pray that you would minister to us, that you would heal us up, that you would um, meet with us in our broken hearts, Lord, over the loss and the struggles that we have faced here lately, Lord. We pray that you would begin a healing process. We pray that we would be a a community of people that come around one another and encourage one another and help one another to heal and grow. Help us that we would be a community that recognizes that you've called us to make disciples, that you've called us to, to both be a disciple and to make disciples. Help us, Lord, to live our lives in this manner where we incorporate some rest, where we incorporate all of who you are, and we apply that that is, we do all things, we do all things for the Lord because you're good, because you know what you're doing. So we just praise you, we love you, we're grateful for this time and for this day, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming and for attending online with us today. We hope that you're blessed. We hope you were blessed by by the message. And we hope that you'll go and you'll really consider this, that you'll enter into and incorporate this rhythm of life that God is, is calling you into, to rest, A, first and foremost, into his finished work on the cross, but then B, also, too, to make a practice of taking one day in seven and remembering the Creator who knows the number of our days, who has all power, who has all plans, who has made you um, an ambassador of his grace and his love and is equipping you and wants to speak to you in a quiet place. We hope that you'll incorporate that, that you'll take that for real and that you'll be a blessing as you go out through your week this week, wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever your work finds you, wherever you find yourself, that you might have on your lips this message of hope, the message of the gospel, the gospel that brings peace to all. And we ask that in Jesus' name. We're grateful. Thank you so much.
Hope you were blessed. Bye-bye.